Good morning. Uh, the reading uh, today is taken from Jeremiah 9, verses 23 to 24, 23 and 24, and then after that, Proverbs 
especially where there's conflict and challenge. So, I'm going to talk a little bit around those verses, uh, particularly Jeremiah and I on the slides. Um, Diane and I are going to really get to know each other because I have a clicker and I, it didn't work. So, so Diane and I we're going to we're going to be in sync. <laughs> if there's a problem, it's on my end. But the verses um, on the screen are going to come probably from a slightly different translation. Than, than what was read. But this is a verse that has meant a lot to us in Tirpan Ireland. This, this description of, of the way God reveals himself. We know from all of scripture, God is love. But when God reveals himself, when he tells us something about himself, he reveals a little bit more of his character. And in this passage, he's not—he's not just talking about. It's not just a warning to us: don't be boasting about your wealth or your strength. But if you're going to be somebody who boasts, well, then choose to boast that you understand and know me. And then he gives a description of himself: that I, and the Lord who practices kindness or who exercises kindness. In the Hebrew, that's is hesed kindness, his loving kindness. So some translations might say, who practices love and justice and righteousness on the earth. So when he practices love, justice, and righteousness, it's something that he does. There's an activity that he's doing. It's, it's not that he's practicing to get better. It's, it's an exercise of justice. It's an exercise of love. It's a demonstration. It's his doing. So this is something that's part of God's nature, that he doesn't just do it, but look at the last phrase there. For in these things I delight. He delights in demonstrating love. He delights in demonstrating his justice and righteousness. And these are the things that he invites us into. He invites us into this demonstration. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a minute, but just as a foundation, I hope that that sets things. So Diane, if we could go to the next slide. Because in Tierfund Ireland, this is our way of understanding how God practices the love and justice and righteousness, the way he delights in this. That in, in creation, when he first established creation and, and put mankind on the earth, he established it in a place of perfect relationship. But when sin entered the world, that sin broke the relationship, it broke the line of communication, it caused the distance, the separation, not just between mankind and God, but within ourselves there was a brokenness that came. And then in our relationships with others, that brokenness was evident. And then in our relationship with creation, that brokenness affected everything. And that's where poverty comes from. That's our understanding of poverty, that poverty is not just an economic situation. But poverty is a brokenness of spirit. But the good news is, Diane, is that when Jesus came and his sacrificial work on the cross and his, and his sinless life and his resurrection, he made the way for us to have that broken relationship with God restored again. And it's in that restoration, it's in that one-time act that happened that now we're all learning to grow into more and more. 
That's the work of Tirpentagon. We're not out just trying to end poverty. We're out trying to bring restoration in relationships. So oftentimes I, I tease the team, and Frida's here, so I, I won't embarrass anybody, but oftentimes I tease the team and, and I say, what, what is it that we're doing? And, and often in the early days that would be the response, but we're up to end poverty. Really? Is that what we're doing? Wouldn't it be better if we were out to end greed? Because isn't that what the heart of, of all of this comes from? So we are about the business of restoring relationships. And that can happen in economic situations. It can happen in long-term development. But that's really our goal. So that could be the next one. So to summarize very briefly, this is the way we work. We have three pillars of our work. We work in relief, development, and justice. So you've heard the analogy, if you give somebody a fish, you feed them for a day. If you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime, right? So we've taken this, and relief, the way we describe relief is, it's when you give somebody a fish. So sometimes people just need a fish. There's been an earthquake, they need a blanket, there's been a challenge. Sometimes people just need the warm blanket, a cup of soup, the hot coffee. Sometimes people just need something right now. And that's the work of relief, where there's been a disaster, where there's been, where there's been conflict and people need refuge. We need to be able to respond quickly to provide relief. But if that's all we do, if all we do is send stuff, give stuff, provide stuff, go over and build stuff. If that's all we do, it's not great. Because it puts an onus on us that we're the, always the ones who are doing and providing and having all the right answers. And it also keeps people locked in this expectation of, well, somebody else is going to come and do it for us. That's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. So the better thing is to help in terms of long-term development, sustainable development, and that's, and that's our work here. So to continue the analogy, notice it's not that we teach people how to fish, but we help people learn how to fish. Because doesn't that demonstrate more of a recognition of their dignity, that God created them in his image with an ability to think through their own solutions, and it's not us coming over to do them, but we're enabling, we're coming alongside our partners. And that's a key thing for us in Tierfund Ireland, that we work closely with our partners that are local, they're on the ground, they understand the language, the context, the issues, the needs, much better than we ever could. But we're there to link the church in Ireland with churches in the places where we're working so that that partnership can be established and there's opportunity. So the third one then, in terms of justice, so we work in relief, we work in development, we work in justice. And justice is, in the analogy, it's where there's fences or walls or barriers that prevent people from being able to fish on their own. That's where we come in and we, we help raise the voice, we help raise the issue, we help draw a point out, well, actually this is wrong. Actually, this, there's a system here that's broken. Actually, what these people need is more and so we enable our local partners to advocate for themselves. And we here in Ireland are advocating for those areas of justice. So, uh, yeah, thanks. So these are our values. This is the way we work. We are a Christian organization, very much focused 
on our Christ-centered relationship and working with partners. And that's the, the next one in the verse. And this is where we really base that passage in Jeremiah, that I am the Lord who practices love, justice, and righteousness. So our phrase that we use is that we're out demonstrating God's goodness, love, and justice to the marginalized around the world. So if we can go to the next slide. So this, these are the ways that we work. So again, through those pillars of relief, development, and justice, and we'll just go to the next ones. So our, one of our main projects is working in Ethiopia in self-help groups, and this is a fantastic, I could talk for hours, I won't, but we could talk <laughs> a long time on our work in Ethiopia. The self-help groups, women are marginalized in the, in the culture. We come in and we form 10 to 15, groups made up of 10 to 15 women who save, and we're talking pennies here, but they save what they have. So they're not given any money, there's no Kickstarter fund, or it's not, a, it's not that kind of a savings group. But what we do is we provide facilitators who come and help them form a group. They create their own bylaws, they self-select who's the poorest in the area, and they form their own group. And what they're doing is saving. Now, the, it's quite dark at the bottom, I apologize for that, but there's, uh, this is a group that I went to visit in uh, early 2018. It's my first trip over, and they had just bought a small little uh, baby cow and heifer and two goats. And I apologize that it is a bit dark in that picture, so it's hard to see. But they had just bought these animals with their own savings. They'd only been in this self-help group for less than a year. This was their first expenditure. Those animals are gonna they're gonna grow. They're going to get fats, they're going to sell them at the market, and they're going to be able to, through that income that they've just generated, be able to purchase more. They're going to raise the goats, and the goats are going to have it. So this is, this is an income generation for the entire group. Now we have, we can go to the next one. We have been working in Ethiopia for, uh, well, since the early days of, sorry, Tirvan Ireland was founded in 2008, and we've been working in self-help groups since then. So as a result of those years of our work, there's been more than 1.4 million people impacted through the self-help groups. So when I, so of the people who've gone into the groups, their children, their families, so the impact in the communities is over 1.4 million people. And that's pretty impressive for, organization the size of Tier Ireland. We're not that big. <laughs> but uh, and the gist, and if you click to the next one, she had a phrase and her she we recorded a video testimony and she had a phrase and it was just really powerful for her to say for all my friends in Ireland, God bless them and their families and their property because they heard him call and they responded. So it's just a really uh, really special time. We could talk lots about self-help groups, and we will talk more in a second, but I think we go to the next one. Now, this is a complex one and a sensitive one, but the research around the world demonstrates that of all of the children who are living in orphanages all over the world, 80% of them have at least one living parent. So it raises the question, 
they're not an orphan, why are they living in an orphanage? This is a difficult and complex issue all over the world, but it is something that here in Ireland, in Turpin, Ireland, are advocating. We're advocating with churches, with schools, with the government. We're asking people, please, we understand the intention is good and the motive is right, but please don't support an orphanage in another country because you're actually not doing all the good that you want to believe is happening. So we are advocating with the Irish government and asking them to put up travel advisories so that people don't go and volunteer in an orphanage. And we're asking churches and schools, please don't send people to help volunteer in an orphanage. We can talk more about that and the reasons why, but we have relationships with people who have grown up through an orphanage and have come out they're called care leavers, and internationally, they are actually asking all the governments in all the nations where orphanages have existed, please don't let that be the system. There are alternative methods, there's family-based care, there's, there's community-based care, there's home-based care, that's a better way if somebody, if a child can't be with their family. So we can talk more about that if you go to the next one. We have lots of resources in this area, uh, and we do what, we call a learning journey, so if you sign up on our website, you get one email a week for five weeks that will help walk through this issue and explain this issue. So we do that with the orphanage volunteering, we do it with a few other of our projects as well, but it's, it's a way for you to really engage and learn and be informed about some of those issues. So, so those were our development projects and then a bit of our justice the humanitarian response, this is something that we do and probably what most people would recognize our work for in that when there is an emergency, when there is a disaster, that, uh, that we will send funds to provide help, to provide food or emergency supplies or warm blankets. So in the last couple of years, these are all the different uh, responses that we've had. And, and we do have a, an appeal at the moment for the Middle East, our partners in Lebanon, are uh, responding, and because as the conflict between uh, Israel and Hamas in Gaza has broadened, there is conflict going across into Lebanon. And, and as of we can go to yeah, thank you. So as of last week, talking to our partners, more than 82,000 families have fled their homes from southern Lebanon and have gone into the bigger cities. Majority of them into Beirut. Beirut, it's, well, I mean, the entire country of Lebanon has been crippled over the last few years anyway, and all of the challenges mean that it is at the point of becoming, a, well, it's definitely a fragile state, and it is at the point of really struggling just to continue. So with all of the Syrian refugees who fled in to Lebanon, and now with so many Lebanese being internally displaced, Lebanon is really struggling. So the church there, is working, we are working with our partners and we're trying to send as much as we can so that the church in Lebanon can respond and provide assistance. So please continue to pray for us in that. And we to the next one. Yeah. So again, just to highlight again the advocacy work that we do a lot with church leaders, with uh, youth leaders, and influencing the government as we're able. And this 
Linton series, you'll, for those of you who come, we encourage you to come. It is very much an interactive series. Emma uh, will be here and she'll be leading us through the different topics we'll have. Um, hopefully, if we can have live connections with our partners, we have confirmed that one of our partners in Lebanon will be online. Uh, in another session, one of our partners from Ethiopia will be online. We're trying to confirm with one of our partners in Cambodia to be online. So in three sessions, we'll have those partners. If they're not online live, they'll at least be recorded. So at least we'll be able to hear directly from them. Um, and it will be a very interactive session, so it won't be lecture-like in that sense. So, Diane. So again, in terms of who we are, what we do, I know that was a bit of a whistle-stop, but just to uh, pause and reflect back onto this verse, or these verses again. So in this, I just want to highlight a couple of more uh, points that in God's delight of doing this, and as I said, his explanation of his character and of his nature, when he, when God through scripture, when he reveals himself, it's called his progressive self-revelation, when he reveals himself, it's not just him telling us more, but it's inviting us into deeper relationship. So if you like, his revelation is an invitation. So it's an invitation to lean in, to understand him better, to know him better. Blessed is the one who understands and knows me. Blessed is the one who understands. So the more we know about God, the more we understand Him. The more we spend time with Him, the more we grow in our realization of who He is. So it brings to my mind Moses in Exodus chapter 33, when what was Moses' prayer? Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I might know you. Or the psalmist who the one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Or again, when the psalmist says, show me your ways, guide me in your path, and teach me. So, and then we have the promises through uh, Jeremiah, you know, if you call to me, Jeremiah 33, some of you know Bono said that that's God's phone number. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me. Seek me and you will find me. And if we go to the next one. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. So again, Jesus himself said that we are friends. Because a friend, or a, sorry, a servant doesn't know his master's business, but a friend will understand the master's business. And you can even take that to the next level. If we have the servant that goes to a friend, but we also have the friend to the child. We have that child-father relationship with God. And the children will reflect the attitude, the character, the nature of the father. But juxtapose this with Proverbs. It says the evil one doesn't understand 
justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it fully or understand it completely. So it's almost like there's a spectrum. You know, on one end, we don't understand justice at all. That's the evildoer doesn't understand. But on the other end, if you know God, then you understand justice completely. And isn't that a, just again, it's that, that the more we know God, the more we understand His justice and righteousness. Because we know that He's holy, we know that He's righteous, and that's the standard that He expects us as His people to follow, to follow in that righteous standard. But when righteousness fails, when we go off the mark, then justice is required to reset. So that's that, that's that relationship between the justice and righteousness. That the two really go hand in hand. And when you see in, in Psalms 89, you know, I should say 14, so there's a typo there, it's not 89, 4, but 89, 14, says that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. So God is a God of love who delights in demonstrating righteousness and justice. And it's not just that he delights in doing it, but it, it's the very foundation of his, of his throne, of his reign, of his kingdom. So justice and righteousness are at the, the, the very heart of who God is and how, he, how his government works. And the more we understand him, the more we relate to him, the more we know him, then the more we can understand that that justice and righteousness is part of how he works and how we can work with him. So if we go to the next slide, yeah, I mean, the next one. So that's, I think, the real question then. If this is the demonstration of God and how he works, his love, his justice, his righteousness, then how do we, as his church, how do we as his church engage with him in that? So if we go to the next one, I'll just give now, Diane, if you can just hold on this for a second, because this is a point now where it's a bit of interactivity required. So The Economist magazine, every, I think it's four years, they publish what they call a Global Food Security Index. So what they do is they go to all the countries in the world as much as they can get into. They go to all the countries in the world and they measure what's called food security. So food security is it's these four measurements. Affordability, availability, quality, sustainability. So these four characteristics are what they're looking for and they measure all, all the countries and then they identify, well, based on these scores, a country has X level of food security. So that means that people living in those countries, they have access, it's affordable, it's of good quality, and it's sustainable, both in terms of uh, sustainable in terms of long-term projection, but also uh, sustainably sourced. So if food security is measured on a country level around all the countries in the world. In, two, in 2022, this was the last time it was done. So it'll be another few years before they do the next one. So where do you think Ireland lands in global food security on a scale of, it, you know, it's hard to see, but there was 113 countries measured.
measured in this report. So out of 113 countries, just take a guess. What do you think? Where did Ireland land? Top 10. Top 5. Ooh, I see your 10. I raised your 5. Near the bottom? Okay. Any, any other guess? So we've got top five, top ten, near the bottom. Forty-seven. Okay. Forty-seven. Now, <laughs> give me specificity. Okay, so I'll put you out of your misery. Diana, you go to the next one. Number two. So ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I saw this, I was, I was more in the middle. So 45, 46, 47, that was me. I was really surprised. I was really surprised. <coughs> so out of all the countries, a small little island nation off the western part of Europe, but yet our food security is one of the best in the world. So it demonstrates our procurement of uh, the shipping distribution. We have a very tight contracts with food suppliers and we're going to be able to bring those in. We can grow much of our own food that's necessary, but, but a lot of the other stuff is going to, it's going to come in. Remember the days of the beast from the east when there was no bread? <laughs> You've seen videos of bread deals going down in the back alleys. <laughs> so we're not, we're, like, we're not going to have that problem really or if it's a short-term, sharp, acute problem. But our food security is quite strong. Compared to, Diane, if you could go to the next, and then the next. So compared to other countries that are at the bottom, so again, this was only 113, uh, but Syria, Haiti, Yemen, Sierra Leone, Madagascar, all at the bottom. Now the numbers aren't huge in these differentials. So we're not talking you know, major jumps, we're talking a few percentage points. But the yellow arrows are some of the countries that we either work in currently or have worked in in the last couple of years. So Ethiopia, Sudan, Yemen, Syria. And then time to do the next slide. So some of the countries where we have worked weren't even measured because those two in the report couldn't even access. So Lebanon, Somalia, Afghanistan. So when we're talking about global challenges, and we're talking about justice in the earth, and how does the church, what's our role, what can we do? Because sometimes we can feel very, very isolated or very confused, or what, like we're here, we're in, we're in a very comfortable situation for the most part. Our food security is very solid and stable, but yet when so much of the world is, is struggling, what can we do? Yes, we can pray. Yes, we can raise awareness. Yes, we can give and support partners and, and organizations who are in those countries providing support. But what else could we do? And this is something that uh, Tier Fund Ireland are doing. Can I go to the next one? Okay, yeah, so it's important probably to raise this. So in this challenge of food security, what I've shown here is um, there's a famine early warning system. So sometimes we'll hear on the radio
video that, that a country is facing famine-like conditions. Just to remind everybody that there are these measurements in place. So famine doesn't just happen. Like we can measure and we can know when famine is coming. So this is from a website. You can go look it up yourself. It's called Famine Early Warning Network. And so every they'll measure and monitor wherever there's a place where food security is at risk. So back in June to September, there was this was their forecast on the left side, and that was Ethiopia, Somalia, Djibouti, so Kenya. It was that region. The one on the right. It's, it's a slightly bigger section that includes Sudan, Sudan and South Sudan and Uganda because those places are facing even much more emergency situations now. So you can see the lighter colors are minimal levels, stress, crisis, emergency, to famine. So the amount of places where there's emergency level or crisis level food insecurity, it's it's fairly consistent in the, the Horn of Africa. Uh, there are other places too, but particularly because we work in Ethiopia, and this is, this is one of our key concerns. So it's dependent on the crops, how many failed rainy seasons, or crop failures, or locust invasion, or cost of living, inflation, when the invasion of Ukraine happened in Ukraine wasn't going to the Horn of Africa because much of Ukrainian grain would go there to help feed the poor of the world's food program and the UN bought most of that grain to feed uh, people around the world. So when that's not happening, then the crisis turns to emergency and the emergency can turn to famine. But we can see this happening. It's not a surprise. Okay, time. Go to the next one. So this is what we're working against. We're aware of this, and we're trying to do something to change it, to turn it around. So for those 1.4 million people who've had some benefit, we want to help another 1.4 and another 1.4. So if we go to the next one. So in Ethiopia, our self-help groups, one of the things that we're doing is we're helping people helping farmers identify well, different methods. They're not new because they're biblical principles that our partners are, are teaching. But we're helping farmers. Sorry, if we could just go back, I'll just explain that quickly. So on the left is typical farming practices where the government have said, this is the way you should farm, and they supply pesticides and all the chemicals and, and identify how it should happen. But as a result, this is common on the left. Now this is one farmer who was what we call a model farmer. So he said, okay, these are the results I've been getting for the last number of years, but I want to try a new way. So our partners went in and helped show them a new way of how to farm. So this is another portion of his field. So it's the same farmer, the same property, just two different farming methods. So he's a model farmer, lots of other farmers are coming, they're seeing this, they're seeing this change, they're going, <laughs> I'll have some of that please. And this is what we're doing in our self-help groups. And Diana, if we go to the next one. So you can see uh, Libizo here, he's participated in this and he's holding up because what's evidenced, and this is one of the big impacts, what's evidenced is as a result of this new farming method, he's doing less work, less uh, 
intervention in the ground, so it's less intrusive, but he's getting 50 to 70% more yield. So less work, less cost, less time, less energy, less impact on the soil, and he's getting 50 to 70% more of his crops. That's incredible. That's incredible. But this demonstrates that the self-help group program and the conservation agriculture project that we're doing, it's working. It works. And we can go to Irish Aid and we can say, look, yes, we're small. Yes, we only have a few people working there in self-help groups. All we need is to scale. That's all we need. And this can be impacting the lives of many more people within Ethiopia and within the Horn of Africa. So Zentesh is one of the self-help group graduates. So she was one of the first ladies to go through the self-help groups. And she, it's a three-year program, they graduate afterwards. But look at what she says, I do not remember the woman I was. And this is what we see. This is what, this is the personal challenge, change that women go through. They talk about being completely different, being transformed, being new. This is similar language. So she not only sent her own children to school, but she's looking after her sister's children and the neighbor's child. And we stood in her hut, her business that she developed through her self-help group. And she has, she has to sell, so this is one of her main project, products, coffee. Ethiopians are fantastic for loving their coffee, and it's gorgeous. But this coffee pot sits on coals, and everybody uses them, it's more common than our teapots. And she has to sell three of these a week, and then two others that are bigger, and then she has a range of spices and herbs that she sells. So she knows exactly three of these, two of those bigger ones, and then so many grams of, of spice. So I went in and I said, I want to buy one of those, and she wanted to give it to me at a discount. So I said, no, 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 I want to pay full price. So I paid full price, and at the time, the currency has changed a little bit in our favor, but at the time, I paid what would have been one euro and five pence cent. One and five for this. She needs to sell three plus two every week to survive. This sits on my windowsill in our kitchen, and I have four teenage young adult children, and for those of you who know this context, you know when they go and they open the fridge and go, and they stand there, and the door is open, and they stand there and sigh again, and then they open the freezer. I just come into them, and now I don't even have to say anything now, I just point. Because I would, I, when I came home from this trip and I would hear that sigh, don't you dare do that, you know these people over in. So I would point to this, and I would just remind them, is this, is this the way you want life to be? Or are you happy that you have a fridge to look into? So, so I, I've taken this time I'll stop. But there are loads of ways that you can connect with us. Many of you do. We, we're really grateful and thank, thankful. So, Tom, we, we're looking forward to the opportunity uh, that we have just to investigate and interrogate some of the different ways that we here in Ireland can be a global neighbor. So, 
Christians who are living in other countries, people who aren't believers living in other countries, but who just need to see there's a God who loves to demonstrate goodness, love, and justice in the earth. And that's what we're aiming to. So if you don't mind to get through these are just different ways that you can connect with us. And we are having a five-side football competition. But I noticed Crinkin was noticeably absent from the last two years. And, and, um, but we, we have lots of ways that people can connect with us. And uh, we're grateful for this. And, and I do pray that, well, can I just pray? Can I close? Just, so Father, we want to be a people who know you and understand you. God, we thank you for the invitation to draw close. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to develop a new hunger and a new thirst for you. That our spirit, our soul would cry out for more of you. That we recognize, even in our flesh, a yearning to be with you, that we would understand you, that we would know your ways, that, that our hearts and minds would be in sync with your heart and your mind and your thoughts. And then God, help us, help us have courage to go where you direct, where you lead, where you guide, where you speak. And help us to be a people who reflect adequately and with integrity who you are wherever we are. So God, for all of my friends here, I pray that in their work, in their family, in their home, that they would be a reflection of you, your character, your nature, your goodness. And wherever they serve, whatever the ministry is, 